Like, are you guys college students? Don't get up and dance. There's music on. They're crazy. Is that song too old? I think it went with the theme. <clears throat> um, I have 11,000 air guitars. Um, where are we going as a church? Where are we going as a church? I just need to share some things with you guys this semester, all right? Um, I've been praying about this, and uh, <laughs> I have 11,000 air guitars. Um, uh, I want to share some things with you guys. Uh, we've been praying through, and, and where, I, where I see us really wanting to go, where I see us really wanting to go is, uh, is deeper, deeper in relationship, deeper in our understanding of God's word. That's why we're doing the scripture memorization. Um, deeper in our influence with others on this campus. And I came up with a great graphic for you guys so you can really follow along with me. All right? This is prepare to be dazzled. Let's say we're at A, which we are at A. We're praying. We're not going to go this way. We're going to go deeper. We're going to go to B. (laughs) Right? Well, that's a good question. Which B should you go to? Probably not all of them, unless you can do something fantastic with yourself. (laughs) Like multiply. You know? I can't do that. I'm not that gifted. But as I thought about it, that that symbol right there, now that'll be stuck in your head, is where we want to go is we want to go deeper together, but we want to go deeper in our breadth of reaching out to people. And so if we're A, we want Bs. We want to go into all these different places. God is sending you. He's sending us as the church. If you have faith in Jesus, you're part of the church and so it's not just we want to go someplace. We want to go and we want to gather as many people as we can with us. And we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper as a community. And we want our, the depth of our, of our love and the depth of our community to reach more people, very plainly. Um, if you have the scriptures, go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have it, It'll be on the screen for you. Let me pray as we, as we head into God's word. Lord, I pray, God, that your word would speak. I pray that the, the fun that we have here tonight about our relationships with one another. There's new people here, Lord. I pray that we would um, go deep with them if they so choose. Lord, I pray that your word would would have a true bearing and have weight in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. Let me go ahead and read it. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what we're talking about tonight is spiritual growth. How, how, do, we, how do we grow spiritually? And what's interesting is that... Um, I'm just in some room. I don't know. What's interesting is, I just put that back. What's interesting is that that the words spiritual growth together, they're not in the Bible. They're not in scriptures. You won't find spiritual growth in, in any plan in scriptures. And so what are we talking about here when we are talking about how growing spiritually? And perhaps the concept of spiritual growth is is perhaps... It's less of an isolated event and more of an entire life process. So when we're talking about spiritual growth, we're just talking about everything that has to do with life. To illustrate this point, let's talk about some of what Jesus did or what he talked about. Think through this, some of the stories. This is just shouted out. Name some of the topics. What did he talk about with his friends? What? Lepers. Okay. What else did he talk about? He talked about money. What, what, did, what did he talk about? What did he do? Unbelief. He talked about unbelief. What else? Hypocrisy. Yeah. Parables. He taught parables. What did he talk about in the parables? Coins. He talked, yeah. What, what else? Sowing seeds. He talked about farming, right? Talked a lot about farming. Shepherding. That's right. He, he, great illustration. Pardon? Loving. Yeah. What did he do? What did he do when he was on earth? Did he sit in a high little, you know, on, on a pole and people came to him and got wisdom? What did he do? He got his hands dirty. What did he do? He went to the lost. What did he do with people? He healed them. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the lepers. He taught on anger. He talked about lust. He taught his disciples how to pray. He raised the dead. In short, what concerned Jesus, and I want you to hear this, what concerned him was life. Just all of it. What Jesus was doing was he was reordering, he was rebanding, he was reforming. Not just this spiritual thing that, you know, that only high holy people in white cathedrals think about. He was getting all of life and talking about it because all of life is spiritual. And when we try to live our life in these compartments, these non-communicating compartments of, well, these, these things are spiritual and these things are not. When we do that, we're mistaken. Because what Jesus does is he engages life in its raw state. It's a very raw state. And when scripture, when you read it, if you are in that place where... where um, where you are separating the spiritual from the non-spiritual or the seemingly non-spiritual, Scripture becomes irrelevant. It becomes burdensome or boring when we begin to break life down into these compartments and split it up. And when we do that, we miss the story of the gospel. We miss the heart of God and the goal of what God is doing in and through individual lives. So what is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is learning to live life the way that God intended all of it. All of it. And when Jesus took his band of 12 disciples, 
He, he sat down. He gave them the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't giving them a 12-step program. He, he didn't give them an individual plan for morality. Or, or this is the way to self-actualize. He talked about anger. He talked about lust. He talked about judging people. He talked about forgiveness. He talked about money. And essentially what he was doing, he was describing a society with relationships when God is king. When God is king, this is what essentially what a society will look like. And he touches on every aspect of life. To be, because to be saved by Jesus doesn't mean to have your sins forgiven. It does mean that but it means a whole lot more, a whole lot more. It means to be woven, woven into a new community that God came to create and usher in. So the question about how we grow spiritually is a question essentially, essentially, it's a question that presupposes new community, true community, relationships. It will always be an intricate part of that pursuit relationships will always be an intricate part of your pursuit of growth as an individual because God is in the process of not just changing individuals but communities, institutions, cultures. That's what he wants. And so when Paul writes this prayer to the church in, 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 um, in Colossae, he did so to a community that banded together. These groups of these people, they banded together daily, weekly, and they shared their belongings and they broke bread around a table of dinner in their home giving thanks. They were to each other new families, most of them probably slaves. They were to each other new communities, subversive communities. Subversive communities, sharing Christ, saving abandoned babies on the trash heap outside of town, and raising these kids as their own because they valued life. And so what can we glean from this? Paul's prayer, what can we glean from it? We're going to work through it. Here's the first thing. Growth is not an individual matter. Instead, individual growth always happens in the context of community. Always. Listen to how Paul started his prayer. Do you have people like this in your life? Do you have a community? Is this that community to you? Here's his heart. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love, the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you in, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. He's naming people. He's talking about their love that they have in community and that their faith is growing. And what happens when their faith grows? It's beginning to reach more and more people. The good news of Jesus, it fails far short if we think that it's just a personal, held, individual belief in a higher power. But instead, the work of the gospel 
is to come and to be a people together. That's what it is. The church's two great symbols of the gospel are what? What Name the two great symbols of the gospel. Some people call them ordinances. Other places you'll find them called sacraments. Baptism and communion. Those are community events. Communion. Community. (laughs) And so the point is that we're really distorted when we think that real growth is just a private matter. It's just me and my personal Jesus. It's not a private matter. Let me say it more strongly. It's American idolatry. Jesus is my personal God, is American idolatry. It worships the individual. It's so self-absorbed, so self-reliant. It ignores our relationships with others, and you will not grow much or at all. Disconnected from the new community and relationships, the gospel was intended to build and create and make. That's why you come into the church and like, I got brothers and sisters everywhere. That's the gospel's intended effect. Number two, individual growth happens within a community that has a framework. And this framework is communicated all over Scripture. And Paul prays here in Colossians. Look with me in 9 and 10. He prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Every organization or community has a framework. What's the framework for AA? Twelve steps. What about a sorority? What would be the framework for a sorority? Hazing. <laughs> huh? Chapter. Yeah, there's rules. There's, there's, there's organization. There's, there's belonging. What about State Farm? What's the framework for State Farm? What do, they do? what do they do? Like, what do they set out to do? Sell insurance like a neighbor. Man, they're just right next door, and they are everywhere here. What about the church? What's the framework? What's the framework for the church? What is the framework the church uses to gauge growth or maturity? Scripture. It's Scripture. The framework for growth, engaging maturity is scripture. It's scripture. Memorize it. Know it. Learn it. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When I thought about this, You guys are good college students, so when I thought about this, I want to let you know this is not self-reporting. Well, how do we know Scripture is important? Well, Scripture says it's important. (laughs) That's lame, right? You would never get by claiming that in a class. But this is, if this is an issue, then you need to come talk to me. Because what you need to do is investigate the historical sources and the movement of the church, the development of the New Testament, and the New Testament communities, and so on. That's for another time. The framework for the church is scripture. And what I want you to see and understand is that the gospel exploded mainly through an oral culture. 
in essence, the gospel was something that was spoken and communicated in an oral culture where most people couldn't read. Do you know why the cathedrals, the beautiful cathedrals in, in Europe are just have these awesome stained glass windows? Because people were illiterate. They learned story through looking at pictures. The gospel exploded through an oral culture, and God used men like Paul not to prescribe a set of conditions or rules, but to describe what was happening and what will happen in a life where God is king. In essence, when we read about Acts in Paul's life, we're not going, oh, um, this is what Christianity is. We have to assume that, well, apparently... It's not a written thing at the time, but this is what I guess it looks like to live and love Jesus. Gospel exploded and communicates what does it look like to live a life where God is king. Galatians 5.22, when we look at scripture, this is a great tool to understand, to measure what life in Christ looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When God is king in people, in your heart, what comes out, what emanates, what people will go and pluck from you is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And this one, kindness, self-control. But none of that makes sense outside of relationships. You see that? Love of what? Of whom? Love of whom? How do you know you're becoming more loving? Except in community. Joy. Our joy is most deeply expressed when we can share it. You ever hear a song that just, or see something, or see a photo, or, or, or see a YouTube video that you just go, that is hilarious, but I'm going to keep it to myself. No, you go, you post it and you go, this is funny. OMG, right? (laughs) Peace. Nobody isolates themselves to say, now there's peace. I have real peace because there's no one around. So I've grown. Patience with yourself, kindness to the birds. I mean, all of these things are rooted in community, community. And Paul's prayer in essence is this, we want you to know God. We want you here to know who he is. He wants you to grow in knowledge so that nothing would keep you from knowing him. That's what it's about. God wants you to know him. And the more scriptures you know, the more you hide in your heart, and the more you'll be filled with the knowledge of of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The more you'll bear good fruit and walk in a manner that's worthy of God, and the more you'll experience, hear, love, have God. And growth in your life will happen to the degree that you engage, not just in the understanding of scripture, not just knowing the stories, but you will gain growth in your life by the application of the scriptures. Truth does not change a life. Truth never changes a life. It's the application of truth that changes lives. None of this happens, though, in an instant, nor does it happen overnight. 
Hebrews 5.12, the author says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Are you unskilled in God's word? It's okay. Is this what you, is God's word what you need to grow this year? That's a trick question. Because the answer is yes. It is. It's yes for those who put their faith in Jesus last semester. It's yes for me. And I've been walking with the Lord for 19 years. It's even yes for people who are older than me, like Rudy. <laughs> and each of us, we make commitments in our lives. Our life is about making commitments. And commit to grow this year. Commit to take, me, take us up as a leadership team on learning the word and hiding in your heart and memorizing it. Commit your mind to reading God's word and your heart to just understanding it. There is nothing more valuable than the word of God. It is applicable to every aspect of your life and God will use it to speak into every single area. Individual growth happens in a community that has a framework and as individuals grow in community, the community grows. And as the community grows in depth, it grows in breadth. For this is what the kingdom of God is about. It leads us to point three. Individual growth happens within a community that has a framework and is kingdom-centered. Listen to Rudyard Kipling's Law of the Jungle. I love this. Now, this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back. For the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. This is so true of the church. It's why the first century church exploded. We always, in a sense, should be looking to make the pack stronger. What I mean is this. The only true protection in your life, the only true protection in your life is the gospel. Salvation is found in no other name than Jesus. And the gospel is for the world. It is for the believer, and it's meant to flow from the church to others who are desperate to having their lives changed by the love of Jesus Christ. If you know and love Jesus, you were brought to God so that you could be his man or his woman reflecting the greatness of God to people who desperately need it so that they might see that and then glorify God and then come join us and be a brother and sister in the work of sharing the blessing, the greatest blessing in the world. Growth of the individual, growth in community, growth of the community happens when we are kingdom-centered. Back to verse 13 here. In First Colossians, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Epaphras carried the message of Jesus to the Colossians, and it spread like wildfire. I love a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says about the church, he says, The church is the only institution that exists for non-members. The church is the only institution in the world that exists for non-members. Everything else you got on your keychain, your all your membership things, we exist for non-members. The growth of the individual has always had a layer connected to it. 
to an outside needy world. To an outside needy world. The church, its people, have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with their neighbors, their classmates, their roommate. And you can't have the first and second point I'm making without the third. Our life in Jesus means if we understand, if we understand who Jesus is, then we want others to really have him. If we really understand who God is, we want other people to know him. And so we make it our aim to spread a passion, a passion for Jesus, for the joy of others. Matthew 28, 18. Someone quote it. Some of you know this. 28, 18 through 20. Anybody? Go for it. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all the nations. This is the task that he gave to his disciples. If you don't know that verse, go memorize it. Let it sink in to your life. Let it saturate your life and your heart. One king, one great kingdom, snatching souls for Jesus. Proverbs 11.30, you can look at it. The person, the wise man, snatches souls. That's what we're called to be about. It is hot in here. I cranked that heat because I didn't want anybody to be cold. It's not on right now. Just kidding, India. Guys, <clears throat> when I was 21, something extraordinary happened in my life. I, I was reading 1 John chapter 2. I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting uh, in, my, in my bedroom on High Street in, in um, Urbana, Illinois. I was a student at the University of Illinois. And, and I remember reading this this passage here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Why it was this passage and not any other, I don't know. But I remember putting the Bible down and going, this is true. God, you are real. You're here. You have the words of life. This book is more than, just, more than anything I've ever experienced. You're real in my life. I need this more than anything else. I'm desperate. God, I want to learn from you. I I want you to have everything. If you're true, then everything in here matters. I don't want anything else but you. At that point, I just really believed that God wanted to use me. I, I, I really actually just believed that that message... The scriptures, it was for me. And God was real. And he wanted to do something in my heart. He wanted to take a, a broken young man who was fragile, so insecure, and tell him who he really was. 
And God did that in my life. I'd be a fool to run after the world. Lord, I don't want the world. I want you. That God loved me and that I was created to bring Jesus' glory and that one day I would see him and be with him was a shocking new reality in a way that just changed the entire course of my life. Let me end here. Listen to Romans 6. I want to read it to you. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body and make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought back from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. What this means for you we talk about going deeper, understanding God's word, what this means for you who know Jesus, who love him, you don't give a sin a vote in how you conduct your life. You don't give it the time of day. You don't even run little errands for it. It's connected with the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and completely into God's way of doing things, into living for something way greater than just you, way greater learning as a way to engage in our salvation with the purpose to glorify God and to live for others. It starts with developing God's heart for people and a life that just gives everything to fill the kingdom with lives that's changed by Christ. You know, we want nothing more for you young men and women than to be matriarchs and patriarchs in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that others will come to you and grab that ripe fruit and get nourishment for you, from you. Because although they might not be able to verbalize it just yet, what blesses their life, what blesses their life is that you've walked with Jesus. Period. I need some helpers. Any helpers? You want to be a helper? Do you want to help hand stuff out here? Do you want to go over there? Somebody over there? All right. You probably we probably have more than enough. Ooh. Take some more. Okay. <clears throat> I want to take some time right now to to talk about an opportunity. Some of you are taking advantage of it. Okay. Some of you are taking advantage of it. All right? Root groups in Cornerstone. Root groups. Okay? What, I, what I've done for you is cleverly disguise through a teaching what root groups are so that you would see why we do them. Okay? Let me explain to you what a root group is and then, and then we're going we're gonna to head out and, uh, and break down into home groups. If you're new, just go with the person who brought you. This is kind of the fun thing that we do is we get a chance to interact with one another. Okay, let me go over this. Three components to a root group. The first one is that you meet with one or two other people of the same gender, and you just commit to sharing your life with them because individual growth happens in community. And so... We've got some questions here written, written on the sheet that just talk about your life and character and integrity 
that the gospel would not be hindered in your life? These are accountability questions. We do not hold people accountable. We provide accountability. So when you're sitting there going over this, no one's asking this. You're asking this of yourself. Have I been a testimony this week to the greatness of Jesus in both your words and actions? You know, you know men, I want to tell you something. I, I, I have most of the week, but I failed here, and I just want to let you know that. Have you exposed yourself to sexually alluring material or allowed your mind to entertain appropriate sexual thoughts about another this week? You know, let me confess something to you because I need, I need to understand the gospel. I need help. And you walk through these. There's one question on here. It says, did you finish the reading and hear from God? Here's the other component of a root group is scripture that you commit as a group to read scripture together and you commit going, Lord, we're going to read Matthew chapter one through seven this week, one chapter a day. And Lord, I'm praying that I hear from you. If all the people in the group finish it, then you maybe you move on and you do chapter eight through 15. But if one person doesn't finish it, then you commit to reading one through seven again. This is how I memorize scripture. <laughs> Sometimes I'd go, I'm not done with Romans 1 through 6. I want to, no, I didn't finish it on purpose. And so, Jesse, you're going to have to read that again. All right? You commit yourself to the reading of the word and the hearing from God. On the back, you spend time, you specifically write out, God, who am I going to be a testimony to? The third component is evangelistic prayer. You just commit to saying, Lord, I want to pray that I have an opportunity to reach these people. Lord, I pray that you would draw, put the person, Kevin, Lord, you draw him to yourself. I pray that Kevin would seek to know you. I pray that he'll hear and believe the word of God for what it really is. I ask you, Lord, to prevent Satan from blinding him from the truth. I, Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict him, that you would send someone to share the gospel with him. Maybe it's you. I ask you, give me the opportunity and courage and the right words to share truth with Kevin. And you take time in your life, in your space, to be kingdom-centered and kingdom-focused in evangelistic prayer with community. 